Blog Talk Radio. Tune in to the Bridging the Gap Radio Show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap Radio Show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867 on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Welcome to Bridge of the Gap with yours truly, Pastor Hugh J. Harmon. I'm back and we are live today and I hope and pray that we have some callers today that are willing to weigh in on these very important topics. This is Bridging the Gap with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon. We are here every Sunday at 5 p.m. here on Never Had It So Good, Gospel 107, um, blog talk radio at its best. And we encourage you this afternoon to go on our Facebook page, Bridging the, Bridging the Gap with Pastor Har- with Hugh J. Harmon. I, I dropped the pastor moniker on the Facebook page, but it's Bridging the Gap with Hugh J. Harmon. I want you to plug in your responses, plug in your reflections, plug in your thoughts, plug in your opinions, plug in your perspectives on these very important issues. I'm going really fast right out the bat because I've got a lot to say and a little time in which to say it in. We're going to talk today about having a seat at the table of influence and power and what that means. And we're also going to try to talk today about millennials and the church. Why is there a disconnect? So those two topics, again, are having a seat at the table of influence and power. What does that mean? And what that means to us as the church, as the kingdom, as believers, as people considered a minority in some way, shape, and form in this country. What is the importance of us being seated at the table of influence and power? What does that mean to us? And millennials and the church, why is there a disconnect? Before we get into our hot topics today, I want to encourage you, our listeners, to get involved here at the Never Had It So Good Gospel 107 Network or Never Had So Good Sports Network family and become an advertiser with us. Many of you are authors and up-and-coming musical artists, event planners, you are service providers, you are small business owners, and that is a great plan. And this is a great platform for you to advertise. Think about it, this this radio station, um, the shows that are broadcast today, especially this show, Bridging the Gap, that is here every Sunday at 5 p.m. I believe this is a great spot. We have market share that stretches all the way out west to Dallas. We have listeners all the way in California. We have listeners all the way up the northeast, as far up, I believe, as Boston, New York City. And so I, I know that you will get your product, service, 
um, event, whatever it is. Um, if you're writing a book, if you've written a book, if you are a musical artist or trying to get your music out there, trying to get uh, what uh, some artists call gigs, trying to get some opportunity to spread the word about what you're doing, this is a great vehicle. Visit us on our, on our website at www.nhisg.com. Dot com. Again, that's www.nhisg.com. Never had it so good. I, I want to welcome you to this. I call this the State of Emergency episode of Bridging the Gap with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon. We're here every Sunday, as I, I've been saying and repeating and saying over again, because I want you to tune in every Sunday at 5 p.m. on this same station, bringing you talk, inspiration, and motivation, and strategies for living triumphantly in troubled times. Um, this is not about a life of indifference where we are concerned just about us and only ours, um, but rather this is about promoting a selfless existence. I learned several years ago that humility is not belittling ourselves or belittling oneself, but rather it is, it is about thinking about oneself less. And bridging the gap requires making some concessions. But it does not have to equal compromise. There's a difference between concessions and compromise. Usually, I end the show with some parting thoughts. But tonight, I feel led to lead with some opening thoughts. We are in a state of emergency in this country. As a man of the cloth, as clergy, as a leader in the kingdom of God, I witness and we witnessed this past week, if you paid attention to anything in the news, if you watch CNN, MSNBC, and I, I would be remiss if I did not. Uh, understand that some of you just try to avoid all of those outlets of media in any way, shape, or form. Most people sometimes even just pick up their news from um, social media. But if you've been paying attention to any outlet, you have noticed and we've witnessed the occurrence of several pastors of color meeting with the President of the United States. And ultimately, the repercussions of responses from those who opposed these men and women even taking this invitation and from those who felt that they needed to. Um, the meeting was called Coined as a gathering of inner city pastors to discuss the executive branch's initiatives relative to prison reform. In particular, it was addressing a bill that has been drafted by the president's son-in-law and political advisor, Jared Kushner. Uh, the bill summarily would create programming for federal prisoners and would ease a path for some to win early release. The bill on its surface sounds commendable, especially coming from this administration. However, a number of things must be pointed out to get approved. It still requires uh, what some believe, some, some pundits, some political um, uh, speculators believe is a monumental shift in the Senate Republicans, and it omits um, sentencing and wording in the reform that um, deals with a major issue that affects the injustice, uh, which is uh, sentencing reform. That is prevalent in our criminal justice system. Uh, with that being said, the cadre of inner city pastors that have attended um, the meeting in the White House have been applauded by some as being progressive, uh, willing to hear the president um, uh, out on his desires to positively augment a portion of our criminal justice system, and others have seen them as downright deplorables, who, who really had no interest in bettering the lives of the people that they serve, and some are even that have, have vilified them as those who may have done it as an ego stroke to embolden their status as, uh, as it were, kingmakers in our communities 
with access to the throne of the White House. I'd like to address two things, and and when I address these two things, it may sound like it's more than two things, but it's really just two things. Much has been bandied about concerning the need for us to be at the table. Um, From sentiments such as, if we are not at the table, we are probably on the menu. I've heard that said over and over again. I I believe it was Elizabeth Warren that raised it, and she herself said that it's been said many times before, if we are not at the table, we're probably on the menu. And she was talking about women Democrats that weren't in positions of power and leadership in the party. Uh, She was really talking to a specific issue with the Democratic Party. But I've also heard it to, to, if we are not seated at the table, we have no say in the plans and the projects and the schemes that may ultimately benefit us as a people. And finally, I've heard to the idea of if we're not at the table, we really don't have a right to complain about what becomes of us because of what was discussed at the table. Similar to the argument, if you didn't vote, then you really don't have a right to complain about what happens. Uh, I watched the broadcast of this meeting live on like many of my friends and colleagues that I had to inform that this meeting even took place. I just happened to come up Upon it. I didn't get to the broadcast right at the beginning, but I got there uh, close to the beginning, and I watched the entire thing live, uh, at least what was broadcasted on social media. And, and with every pass of the microphone, it became gut-wrenchingly clear that even if the meeting was labeled as a meeting on prison reform, it quickly became a praise fest, not for Jesus Christ, because these were men of the cloth, but ironically for Mr. Donald Trump. He was praised repeatedly for the work he's already done on prison reform, of which I'm not clear, beyond the pardons that he's issued for a number of friends and supporters and a mother wrongly incarcerated for an extended period of time. And through the the political capital of um, Miss Kim Kardashian West, he was lauded for the robust economy and his single-handed erasure of the unemployment numbers. Again, I'm not quite sure if he should and ought to take all the credit for that, but nevertheless, he was praised for that. He was praised for how well the business sector was doing. A number of those who spoke tugged on his heartstrings, adding their personal anecdotes of family members who were affected by his efforts to look out for veterans and to clean up veterans' affairs. He was praised, and from time to time, if he had the swag, he would have popped his collar. Uh, One assistant pastor from our great state of South Carolina even said maybe, and again, maybe it's because he's a Carolinian, and, and our former state governor had stipulated that all state employees answer state office phones with welcome to the great state state of South Carolina. It's a great day in South Carolina. But he said, sitting at the table with our president, with these other men of the cloth and women of the cloth, he said, I'm so happy to be here in the presence of greatness. And then he added he was a former law enforcement officer, and he would be interested to hear more about what the president was doing with regard to reacclimating former prisoners to life in the general public. He said he was looking forward to hearing more. I want to emphasize that. He said he was looking forward to hearing more. But after the, he gave his pleasantries and the others followed suit, including some strategically placed Hispanic clergy that also strangely had the kindest of words to say to President Trump, who had called many Hispanics who come here murderers and rapists, i.e. really bad guys. Uh, the meeting was ended with reporters not even given an opportunity to ask questions. I, I truly then was still 
giving them the benefit of the doubt and thought maybe what was televised was just the climax of a much longer discourse. Then I got hold of the entire transcript and realized I had missed nothing at all. In fact, the information I just gave on the prison reform bill didn't even come out of the meeting. It came out of my own research. So the bill was insinuated. It was talked around, but it was never talked about. But it it was never fleshed out as far as I know. A number of red flags had to be raised, and, and I dare say have to be thrown on the pitch, and foul plays have to be highlighted. Number one, if we're talking prison reform, why meet with pastors that have not demonstrated any inclination toward even establishing prison ministries at their church? A, a lot of you... Don't know, but I'm a pastor myself. In fact, you know I'm a pastor, but my background in pastoralship actually started in the prison walls of Rikers Island Prison. That was the first pulpit I held, Rikers Island Prison. Several years ago, I was a volunteer chaplain through the New York City Department of Corrections, and I went to Rikers Island Prison every Saturday morning. That was the first place I had to prepare to preach behind a pulpit to incarcerated men. And so I know what it is to look out of men whose eyes and posture and uh, and their just their whole outlook on life seems hopeless, and you are tasked with the with the job, with the responsibility to preach hope to these men that may never come out of these bars. So I know this thing is dear to my heart. When I first moved here to South Carolina back in 2006, I said before I started a church that I wanted to get back into prison ministry. It was one of the hardest things. There's so much paperwork. There's so much um, legalities and bureaucracy required for you to get into the prison if you're not already an employee of the prison system to get in and to work and to do just to do ministry. Tree. That's something I, I said I'm going to do that as soon as our church gets up running. We're going to make sure it happens. There's so much bureaucracy. But again, none of these guys sitting around the table, as far as any uh, information shows, have made an inclination to establish even a prison ministry at their church. Two, if we're going to talk prison reform, let's flesh out some of the sections of the actual bill. And let's talk about what it's holding this bill up from being approved by the Congress. Let's talk about which lawmakers we need to be calling and convincing our congregations to call to make sure that they hear the heart of the people. That was not raised at the table. That was not discussed. It might have crossed the minds of some of the people at the table, but in that moment, in that broadcast, in that live, that was not demonstrated. Three, How does praising Donald Trump for letting you come to the table without confronting Donald Trump on all the other issues that are troubling those that we serve around the table, those in our inner city communities, as we speak, there are protest rallies being formed around this nation, protests about violence, protests about gun control, protests around uh, immigration policies that that are separating kids from their parents at the border, Uh, protests about police mistreatment of people of color. There's a protest right now as we are on this uh, show at a church in Chicago over uh, the tragic death of a young man. Um, 
there there's a march being organized right now by the far right uh the same group this they're the same group that had the march in charlottesville uh, that same group that Mr. Donald Trump called fine people, that same group is is organizing a rally as we speak in Washington, D.C. That should happen, I believe, in a number of days. Uh, uh, why haven't uh, why wasn't he confronted on these issues? Why wasn't he even asked a question on these issues? Why wasn't his opinion and thoughts and perspective on these issues even raised? If we're at the table, why aren't we talking about the stuff that matters at the table. That's just one issue. The second issue I have with all of this is the response to the backlash. Sometimes I make mistakes. We all do. We're human beings. We are entitled to make mistakes. What I have a problem with is when we make mistakes, but we make the mistakes God's mistakes. We make mistakes that in hindsight we realize weren't wise decisions, but the fallback is to say, well, as a man of God, I was obligated to make that mistake to serve as a martyr of sorts for the faith. We create these narratives that are really narcissistic attempts at falling on the sword honorably to beat back the dishonorable suggestion that God was the one that got me into this mess to begin with. Over the last few days, what we witnessed was a group of clergy that were boxing out of their Weight class. I, I love to watch boxing. I love to watch ultimate fighting championships. I love those guys in the squared circle when they get together and they beat each other to pulp. These clergymen were out of their weight class in terms of political savvy, out of their weight class in terms of prophetic mantle, and out of their weight class in terms of understanding the devices of the maniacal media machine of President Donald Trump. Uh, they they fail to see, as many of us are seeing now, because hindsight is twenty twenty. That uh, unfortunately, number forty five needed a distraction from the heat that he's feeling with all of the investigating that's taking place around his campaign and his White House. A distraction from all that he knew or didn't know about the meeting with Russian operatives in his Trump Towers. As much as prison reform and the details of the bill are commendable, we've got to deal with the issue of why these brothers and sisters are going to jail in the first place in record numbers. That statistic has not been reversed. Regardless of who is in the White House, that number has stayed at record numbers. Prison reform is a good thing, but school improvement is an even better thing. And Frederick Douglass once said, uh, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Uh, the, these guys were used as much as they believed they were in control of the whole thing. And unfortunately, a young man that I was attempting to appreciate as an up-and-coming voice in the kingdom, now pastoring in our fair state for a few weeks now, has been used as a poster child of derision. To those that are saying this rebuke of these pastors is unfair and unfounded and that the president should be lauded for what he's doing, for allowing them to even come into the White House and sit at the table, I say, do you mean lauded for his tweets, insulting the intelligence and obvious greatness of men and women of color that don't agree with him? Or should we be lauding how he speaks of Maxine Waters having a low IQ or of NFL players as being dumb and of LeBron James as being dumb as well? 
or maybe he should be lauded for his immigration policy that took children from their parents and caged them in holding centers and failed tyrants that are threatening to take this country into a tailspin of debt that it may never recover from. It has also been suggested that Martin Luther King Jr. met with presidents and sat at the table in the White House. But the difference is that when he did, his agenda was clear. Until things change, we won't halt the marches or the protests in the face of dogs, water hoses, and belligerent bull Connors. And on one occasion, his visit was because they were signing the Civil Rights Act, which was a production of his protests. Let's stop doing two things. Let's stop blaming God for directing you to meet with Trump and also stop aligning yourself with Dr. King. When most of you that were present at the table have never addressed social justice in any meaningful way from your pulpits or from your gilded offices. I'm sorry if I went longer than expected in that little opening monologue, but I had to get that out. We're going to take a really quick musical interlude. And after that break, I'll get into our original discussion, and we'll get into talking about millennials and the church. I want to break in here with one of my all-time favorites, Bob Marley and his song, War. We'll be right back after this. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war. A war that until they're no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation, until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Miss a war that until the basic human rights. Without regard to race, this a war. And until that day, the dream of lasting peace, world citizenship, rule of international morality, will remaining but a fleeting illusion to be pursued, but never. Welcome back. This is Bridging the Gap with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon, and that were, that was the songs of Bob Marley, one of my childhood, long-time, lifetime favorites, musical favorites, um, and that was one of his songs, one of his hits, 
war, he says, until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Until that time, there will be war. Again, I want to welcome you back to this special edition of Bridging the Gap with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon. If you missed the first segment, in the first segment I did a little monologue, uh, what I believe is a monologue on what we call the seat at the table of influence. Um, I still want to give you opportunity as the show continues today to um, voice your opinion, call in, log into our Facebook page, leave your thoughts, impressions, uh, your your perspectives, what do you, you have on on what I talked about earlier and your view of it, even if you were in support of those pastors going and sit with the president and and what they talked about, or if you were against it, we want to keep it civil. Um, I I understand, you know, that the place that we're in, um, people want to say things that it might not be uh, in in class and impossible. and, and with um, some coof, but that's what we want to do here on Bridging the Gap. We we want to raise issues that are controversial, but we want to end with finding solutions. Um, today, we want to shift our conversation away from that news item and away from what happened at the White House and towards what I believe is critical to this whole idea of bridging the gap. I believe that um, this episode, this topic, and I, and and it's been a, a a a wrestling, a fighting to even get this topic um, discussed and put out here. And even in this particular show, I I was hoping and anticipating there'll be more young people calling in with, uh, and I and I hope and I, and I trust that with the time left that there will be some that will call in with their opinions and points of views. But I believe that this epitomizes the mission and the vision of this show, Bridging the Generational Divides that Plague Us and that Threaten to Undermine the Future Success, the Prosperity, the Freedom, and Livelihood of the Next Generation. We had planned to do this episode live and tape at the uh, at, at my local church, the Kingdom Church Love Fellowship of Columbia, South Carolina, where I invited our millennials, our 90s and late 80s babies to come in to, and to openly begin a dialogue concerning their place and purpose in the kingdom of God. However, I decided to, to that to be even more impactful and to reduce the issue of anonymity that we keep this episode as a live radio version. And, and from a larger perspective, we here at Bridging the Gap believe in focusing on developing remedies and strategies to close the gaps that exist in the larger culture and media in education, in politics, in criminal justice, and socioeconomically. But as a pastor, I believe strongly that any change in the natural world begins with change in the spiritual. Uh, it begins with a spiritual revival. It's not surprising from my purview that as our society becomes a lot more transparent, as it were, um, and things uh, transparent about things that once used to be considered taboo and deviant in many ways, creating the notion that everything is a matter of choice, um, blurring the lines between right and wrong, and suggesting that evil, wrong, or that ugly Christian word sin 
is relative. I, and and I use that that term, ugly Christian word, with some cynicism and sarcasm because I don't believe it's an ugly word. I believe it's a truth. I believe that when the church is courageous enough to speak to the issues at hand without feeling that in some way they are undermining the veracity of the gospel by speaking to gender inequality and sexual identity politics or addressing the blurred lines of economic and health care disparities, that some call socialism and we call charity, then we will see the dynamic shifts in the culture that we desire to see. And this begins with speaking to a generation of tomorrow's leaders, and I dare say in many ways today's up-and-coming leaders, and ensure that we as a, an institution are not losing influence on them. I believe that the world turns on the access of influence. Uh, world leaders met just a few weeks ago for what we know as a G7 conference. Uh, it's the seven most powerful nations in the developing or the developed world met to discuss trade and pollution and military issues, and they exchanged intelligence about illegal activities that concern all of these countries collectively. These countries didn't just meet because they exist and they have governments. They are a lot more than just seven governments in the world. But they met because they could agree that they have large swaths of influence that goes beyond their borders. These countries have resources that, rest, that the rest of the world depends on for survival in the form of food, in the form of technology, fuel, and even immaterial intelligence. What is the resource that the kingdom of God provides that the rest of the world depends on or should be dependent on but we aren't providing or are rather not seen as the source of. I don't want to jump too far into the discussion, but I do want to give a framework for our dialogue tonight. I want to frame our discussion around three questions, and I would encourage our listeners tonight to post your thoughts on these questions to our Facebook page. And if you have your own questions and you don't want to necessarily speak up but would like your questions asked, please post them on the Facebook page and we're going to make it interactive like that tonight. I'll, I'll lift some questions off the page and we'll talk about those questions and my own personal thoughts. We do, Again, we don't pretend to be experts or, or an expert on the issues, but we do have a perspective and a point of view that tends toward reconciliation. I can tell you right now that this will probably take uh, three to five episodes of our show for us to cover all the bases, but we will cover what we can tonight. And the three questions that I want to frame today's discussion around are, number one, what has gone wrong with the relationship between the church and the millennial generation? Um, again, what has gone wrong with the relationship between the church and the millennial generation? I'm going to define what I mean by the millennial generation because that's a word that's bandied about but not often defined. And some people are part of that generation don't realize that they are. Number two, what are some of the reasons that you that we believe millennials are abandoning the faith? Again, I have some opinions on that, but I want to hear your opinions as well. And what can we, the church, do differently? to reverse this trend. Again, today's edition is a, a special edition, so we won't have as many commercial interruptions. We're going to have some musical interludes, but we would be getting into some rather frank, open, transparent conversation about purpose and the kingdom. Uh, first, let's deal with some definitions. Number one, what is a millennial? Um, these 
I looked it up. I did some research. And, and most of the research circles around this definition, that are people born between the early 1980s and the early 2000s. So those that are born between those decades, the early 1980s and the early 2000s. While the majority of conflicting opinions agrees that those born between the mid-1980s and the mid-1990s constitute the key players in this demographic. So we're looking at those, I call them the the, the late 80s babies and mid-90s babies are considered the millennials. Uh, and then we want to talk about purpose because it's important. You know, purpose is another word that is central to the human experience, not just to the faithful, not just that are those that are believers in Christ, not just those that go to church, not just those that go to the temple or those that go to the mosque, but purpose is a central human theme. Purpose is a term that is used widely, but we want to settle today on the idea of one's aim in life, one's life objective. The point of one's life are the target of one's life. That's purpose. And the last thing I want to define, third world, another word that we hear a lot, especially now in the church world, is this idea of kingdom. It's another term widely used, but in some circles it's considered a heavily spiritual $20 word. Uh, Or in other circles it's not that intense. For the purposes of our discussion, kingdom refers to the arena of God's control in the world. The arena of, and when I say God, I mean the Christian God's control in the world. And, and I'm not a fool. I would be remiss to believe that everybody that listens to the show or is connected to me or in relationship with me in some way, some form, are uh, associated with um, tuning in to Bridging the Gap are Christians. I, I understand everybody's not a Christian. So that's why I use the term Christian God's control in the world, be it culturally, ethically, personally, and institutionally. The church is the birthing place of the kingdom of God in the earth. I, and, and again, I know that everybody that listens is not necessarily a Christian, but I'm a Christian. And so I frame everything that I do through the lens of the Christian worldview. So I don't apologize for doing that. And so this show, Bridging the Gap, I might talk about many things, but I always come back to my faith. First, let me lay down the ground rules uh, of our discussion um, and basically, it's just covering those questions. I want you that are out there in the blogosphere, out there listening, listening to this episode to take out a piece of paper or an index card or a notebook, and, and we're going to make this interactive. And I want you to pretend that you're in a classroom, and I want you to write down anything that moves you today. I believe strongly in the value of memory and that the human body is wired in such a way that if you write it down, you will tend to remember more of it than if you try to make a mental note. Uh, so step number one, if each of you can take out an index card, I know I, I can't see you. I know I'm on, 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 you're hearing my voice, but you can't see me and, and so forth and so on. But trust me with this. I want you to take out a piece of paper. I want you to take out a notebook. I want you to take out a blank sheet, an index card, whatever it is that you can write on. And I want you to take a few minutes to write down what you believe your life purpose to be on that refer on now. Take, take a few minutes to do that. What is your life's 
purpose. Remember, our definition of purpose is the aim of your life, the objective of your life, the reason for your life. In other words, you hear this talked about in the world, what is your why? Why are you here? Now, that's a challenging question. What is your why? What is your purpose in life? And if you find that on the front of that index card is not enough, flip it over to the back and continue to write there on the back. What is your why? That's what I want to challenge you this afternoon in doing is thinking about what is your why. And and before I go any further, I got um, two callers on the line. I want to give at least one of them an opportunity to come on and to talk about this before we dig into this idea of millennials and the church. I want them to give their perspective on uh, what is the issue, what is going on with this whole idea of millennials um, and the anti-church mentality. I'm just going to this how I'm do it. I'm going to tell you what the last four digits of your phone number is. I'm looking at these numbers, and then we're going to open up the lines for you. You don't have to give your name. You, you, I would love for you to say where you're calling from, uh, but I would also love for you to share with us, just get right down to it, what do you think is going on with millennials and the church and the disconnect? So um, the first call I'm going to give an opportunity to to open up the lines to. Don't be afraid. Again, you don't have to give your name, but I would love for you to tell me where you're calling from and then give your perspective on millennials and the church. They're calling, and your last four digits are 9804. Caller 9804. I'm going to open up the, the, the lines for you. Please introduce where you're calling from. And what is your perspective on millennials and the church? Hello, it's call at 9804. That's the last four digits of your number. Hello, Carla, how are you doing? Great, how are you? I'm doing great. Can you, I just want you to share this afternoon. Um, maybe you could tell us, are you a millennial, first of all? No, sir, I'm not. But I do okay. have children but that you, are. But you, but you have an idea about it. So tell us, tell us what your perspective is on this whole millennials and the church and the disconnect. Uh, well, I think um, it has to do. I don't really know. <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to figure it, figure it out myself. That's right. But I think with the young, with the young people, um, I know it has a lot to do with the upbringing. And I think you okay. still need to be pushed. Um, I, I think that. Go ahead. And also, and also, um, they still need to be reared because I think a lot of things has to do. I see, and I feel a lot has to do with some of the music that okay. has changed. I think that's a that's a big issue, also. All right. Wow. And, you know, you hit some powerful points, how they're raised, the music that they're listening to. And uh, I, I want to thank you for calling. Thank you for giving your perspective. And thank you for being honest. Like, you really don't know. And, and I'm, that's why I have this show. That's why I'm asking the questions. Because I have, you know, I have some perspectives on, on some young people I know. But I'm, I don't necessarily know. I don't necessarily have all the answers. And that's why we want to make this a discussion because here in Bridging the Gap, we believe it's about closing those gaps. 
if we can find out what's going on, then we can do the necessary things to to fix the gaps. Like going to the doctor. If you go to the doctor and you can't explain what's hurting, then the doctor can't diagnose how to heal what's hurting. And so that's where we are. I appreciate I thank you for that call. And I believe, like you said, it's about how they're raised. I believe it's also about that the music may play a part. And the music plays into the idea of the culture, what they're watching on TV, what the things that they like, the things that, you know, I remember coming up myself and, you know, the kinds of music I like, my parents didn't necessarily like it. And I think every generation is like that. Um, but even my parents, the music they listened to, their parents probably didn't like that music either and didn't appreciate it and probably thought they were going running all the way to hell. But um, I really appreciate you calling. I want to thank you for that. And 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 as I move on a little further from that, and again, that caller made a, a powerful point. She doesn't know. Don't know. But this is, this is what I see. And oftentimes we have um, much to say about young people because of what we observe and because of our own personal experience of what we've been exposed to and even because of our personal education. And I'm not talking about necessarily school. I'm just talking about our education in life. And we look at, well, these are the things that I did. And because I did these things, I don't do these things. And so maybe that's the reason these young people are doing what they're doing, because they didn't have what I had at my disposal. I want to move the, the conversation, and, and I had a scripture I wanted to lift up, and, and I'm going to lift it up right now. And it's a scripture that at the outset, it doesn't sound like it makes sense, or it doesn't sound like it connects to what we're talking about with this idea of purpose. But when we talk about purpose, millennials, and the kingdom, we can't forget that it's not about the individuals, but it's about the person of Jesus Christ that um, determines our purpose to begin with. It says here in Luke chapter 9, I'm just going to lift up two verses in Luke chapter 9, and again, this is going to sound like it's, it doesn't really connect to what we're talking about, but it's going to make sense by the time we finish. Luke chapter 9, 57 and 58 says, uh, as And I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That someone said to Jesus. Verse 58, and Jesus told him, that someone that said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have holes and birds of the ear have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, that's a strange place to pause, but I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to jump to another scripture, Hebrews 11. And so, again, it, just to lift that up again, Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57 and 58, Jesus said, and it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have holes and birds of the ear have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then I want to go to another scripture, Hebrews 11. We all know those that go to church of Hebrews 11 as that faith scripture that, that, that talks about now faith. But I want to go a little deeper into Hebrews 11. And I want to go down to verse 8 of Hebrews 11. And it talks about a man, again, if you've been in church for a minute, you, you are familiar with this man in scripture. My Bible pages are all sticking together, but... I'm, I'm going to get there, Hebrews 11, 
and starting at the eighth verse, and it says these words in Hebrews eleven eight: By faith, Abraham, when he was called by God, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went, not knowing where he was going. And then it says in verse 9, but by faith he lived as a foreigner in the promised land, as in a strange land, living in tents as nomads with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. And the final verse, for he was waiting expectantly and confidently, looking forward to the city which has foundations, an eternal heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. Now, in Luke 9, Jesus talks about um, not having a place of his own. He says, foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. In Hebrews 11, it talks about um, Abraham who arrives in the promise, but he lives in the promise as though he's a nomad, as if he's a stranger, as if he's a resident alien. And he does not ever set up a house. He just lives in tents. And the Bible says because he's been looking for a home, for a place that has not been made by human hands, but has been made by God. Before I jump head along into this discourse, I want to do um, as I always do. And I want to um change it up a bit this this um this afternoon. And so we read the scripture. I want you to think about that scripture. And on that same sheet of paper or you could take out another sheet of paper, you just wrote down what you believe um your why is, your purpose is. Now I want you to think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter nine. And if you have a Bible Take it out, look at it again, Luke chapter 9, verse 57, 58. And then I want you to look at Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10. I want you to pay attention and think about how does that question of what your why is connects to what Jesus said in, Hebrew, in Luke chapter um, 9 and how what Abraham did in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 connects to that whole idea of why. And I want you to think about what your why is in in perspective or juxtaposed to what I just read. That means laid alongside what I just read. The point of those scriptures was to give you this. Jesus talked about purpose in those two verses. And literally he was saying, my purpose is not to, to rest. It's my purpose is such that I don't have a resting place. My purpose is to do a work. My purpose is to be active. My purpose is to be always moving. Then we hear about a man named Abraham who also talks about purpose. And, and if you read the scripture, the entire thing in Hebrews 11, or, and you go back to the actual Genesis story where um, Abraham is talked about and Abraham is called, Abraham does not leave where he was and end up where he is without having been purposed by God. And I challenge you this afternoon that as we think about millennials and the church, that you think about um, the fact that if you don't have a purpose that's locked up in a godly or uh, divine direction that's being given to your life, um, 
you might be just wandering through this world. Uh, Millennials in the church, I want to take a really quick, another quick musical interlude. We're going to listen to another hit of mine. Um, And many of you heard it a couple years ago. A movie came out called Glory. And this is one by Common and John Legend and their rendition of Glory. We'll be right back on Bridging the Gap with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon after this. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be the heavens, no man, no weapon, formed against, yes, glory is destined, everyday women and men become legends, sins that go against our skin become blessings, the movement is a rhythm to us, freedom is like religion to us, justice is juxtaposition in us, justice for all just ain't specific enough, one son died, his spirit is revisiting us, true and living, living in us, resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots be on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure. Welcome back to Bridging the Gap with Pastor E.J. Harmon as we dig deeper into this conversation about millennials and the church. Uh, I'm going to throw a a couple of questions out there for y'all, and I want you to really think about this, hit me back, and to let me know your point of view on these questions. Again, you you can answer these questions on our Facebook page. Just we're going to dialogue back and forth that way. And the questions, number one question is, how many of you know of someone that is in this millennial age group that does not believe in God? That's one of the questions. And another one is, how many of you know someone who has left the church after being raised in church and is in that age group called the millennials? Um, How many of you think and can pinpoint the reason why they don't believe in God and why they have deserted the church? And uh, another one is, have you ever heard a friend or an associate say, I don't want to have nothing to do with the church, but I have a relationship with God or something close to that? You know, as I thought about this whole idea of millennials and the church, I looked up some statistical facts about millennials in the church. I love to research statistics and and to dig down. And after being in education for as long as I've been and taking the number of graduate courses that I've taken, uh, I've 
that I have had to do a lot of research. So I said, let me do some research about millennials and the church. And these are some of the things that I found. Number one, only two in ten Americans under 30 believe attending church is important or worthwhile. Only two in ten under 30 believe attending church is important or worthwhile. I'm going to read what some comments of some people that are hitting me on Facebook are saying. They're saying that the reason folk are leaving the church, and it connects directly with what I just said, is many of the people 30 and under believe that the church has lost its way. Wow. I mean, that should hit to the heart of a lot of pastors out there. If there are any pastors listening in right now, leaders out there, um, you, maybe you pastor a small church, pastor a big church, maybe you pastor pastors. It says only 2 in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending church is important or worthwhile, and this person says because they believe the church has lost its way. And number two, 59% of millennials raised in church have dropped out. 59%, that's more than half, almost 60% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out. Um, again, relating to what that person says, and they added on further to their comments, it says not only have do they believe that the church has lost its way, it, be, it believes that, and it, they say that the the meeting that was had just earlier this week with those pastors sitting at the White House with the president and what was heard and what was said and, and the reports coming out further demonstrates how the church has lost its way. Number three, 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, believing the church has done more harm than good. Wow. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, believing the church has done more harm than good. I'm going to read another comment that came off of Facebook. They said, um, many people believe that the church is not important anymore, that they can have a relationship with God on their own. But most importantly, they believe that the church spends too much time talking about money and trying to get the money out of the hands of the people into the pockets of the leaders. Wow. 35% of millennials have an anti-church. Anti means they're against the church. Not just forget about the church, I'm not going. They are against the church. In other words, they are preaching to people, encouraging people not to go to church, but the church has done more harm than good. Fourth point, millennials are least likely group to attend church. Wow. 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 And now some more reasons are flooding in on my even on my personal uh, inbox. These are some of the reasons. Here's what experts are saying, and these experts are millennials. They're saying nobody listens to millennials. They are being talked to, talked at, and talked about, but not being talked with. Wow. Nobody's listening to millennials. They're being talked to, talked about, talked at, but not talked with. And they value voice and receptivity. 
They value voice. They are outspoken. They want to be heard. They want to share. They want to give their opinions, and they believe that they're mature enough in what they're sharing, and they know enough of what they're sharing to be sensibly heard and respected. Wow. Another thing that uh, millennials are saying is, I'm reading them off, they're sick of hearing about values and mission statements that don't line up with what is demonstrated by the church. Wow. So, so in other words, millennials are saying that they're seeing a disconnect between what the church claim it's about and what the church is actually doing. And I want to take that and make that into, because that's a microcosm of our nation. Our nation was founded on principles that if we would all be honest and stop playing games, that we have espoused values and a mission statement, which is encased in our Bill of Rights, encased in our Constitution, that many people that are born, bred Americans, born on this soil, legally born on this soil, raised on this soil, worked on this soil, can say without any doubt does not line up. that What they have experienced in life does not add up to the values and the mission statement that has been espoused by this nation. And unfortunately, um, it starts with the church. Number three things that millennials say, they believe that helping the poor is not a priority of many churches. Wow. That's a scathing indictment. That's horrible. That's like a, a knife to the throat of the church. When young people that are looking at the church believe that helping the poor seems not to be a priority of many churches. I want to hurry because I, I, I want to stick to my time this weekend because I want to continue this discussion with another episode. Another thing they said, uh, millennials are saying, uh, I'm just reading what, what people are sending to me. They're tired of the culture being blamed. And, and they're talking about the millennial culture, the youth culture. The youth culture is blamed for just about every taboo that is existent. But... Uh, Young people are saying that the, the, they learn those taboos from the adults. <laughs> wow. Scathing. Shameful. Horrible. But true. Um, another thing they said, and, and, and this is a, unfortunate with the church, it says, Millennial says there's a sense that there is a you can't sit with us syndrome in the church. There's a us and them syndrome in the church. When anytime I hear the words us and them, that means there's a gap that needs to be bridged. <laughs> there, there's uh, unfortunately there's an us and them in our society today. There's an us and them that's being created among people of color. There's an us and them that's being created among people of color with people uh, with immigrant people of color. There's an us and them being created between Americans who were born here and Americans who are naturalized here. There's an us and them being created among those who vote Republican, those who vote Democrat. There's an us and them being created here in this country that I don't know how we're going to recover from it. Um, there's a distrust 
and misallocation of resources by many churches. That's another reason some millennials believe that uh, church isn't for them. Um, I'll just give you a few more. Uh, millennials want to be mentored, not preached at. Wow. And when I hear words like that, want to be mentored and not preached at, I hear discipleship. That tells me that kingdom of God, those that are in position of influence and power and and some level of um, organization in the church are not doing what Jesus called us to do. That's disciple. That's mentorship. We have made church about preaching and teaching at people. We've made church about music and dancing. And all that's great and wonderful. I love a good church time. But when church time is over on Sunday mornings, what are we doing beyond that to prepare our young people, our old people, our middle-aged people, to prepare believers to function in this world and to be uh, an influence in this world rather than just being exclusive in this world. Another thing, it says millennials want to feel valued. Um, You know, I can speak from experience as someone who, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader, but I have tattoos, not just a tattoo. I have many tattoos that I got before I, I was saved, before I gave my life to the Lord, before I was baptized, before I, I joined a church. I have these. I, I grew up as a young man being taken to church. I grew up attending church. I grew up participating in youth ministry as a young man. But when I got to the age of accountability and went off to college, I did all kinds of things. I had tattoos before tattoos were popular for black people to have. And so I was always considered weird. He got these tattoos. It was it was many years later that tattoos became popularized by NBA players. And by that time, I was already an adult, and I was teaching in, in the educational system. And um, young people were now getting, you know, all the NBA players were getting their whole bodies tattooed up. And I had tattoos for years. I had the old ta- old school tattoos on my body. And so coming into church and 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 once or twice wearing a short sleeve shirt and folk noticing my tattoos it was like whoa whoa and and immediately you see the sense of devaluing and so a lot of millennials are coming into church with crazy or what we call or perceive as crazy hair colors or crazy piercings and immediately we devalue them because of their appearance. Another thing says millennials don't think that the controversial issues are discussed at church. I just spent at the beginning of this show, the monologue, just talking about what happened the other day. And they're saying things that that aren't even discussed at a lot of churches. That's why they think that there's no value in church because many pastors and leaders are afraid. And if they're not afraid, they're not equipped. And if they're not afraid or equipped, they're not courageous enough to give somebody else that may have greater expertise in that area the opportunity to speak on those things that are concerning the people that are sitting in the pews. Last three I'm going to talk about. The church has a bad public perception. That's why some millennials are leaving the church. Churches where 
pastors are being arrested for abusing children. That's the hard, harsh reality of the times that we're living in. Not that it did not happen before, but now it's more publicly recognized. Uh, two more. Millennials feel that they're talked about, and I said that before, rather than being talked to and being talked with. And the last harsh thing, which really I believe um, connects to all that's been said before, the church is failing to adapt. When we hear that word adapt, we hear, we think of the word evolve. When we hear the word evolve, we think of that ugly word compromise. When we hear the word compromise, we think about um, undermining the gospel. And I've come this afternoon as I close, and I want to close, and I want to go too much over our time, um, to really highlight that given all that I just shared from what was shared with me about the concerns of millennials, I don't believe that any of those concerns were off. I think many of those concerns were on, and many of those concerns should be high concerns of those in position in the church. We shouldn't cross our eyes at them, turn our backs on what was said, devalue what was stated, but think about what are the ways that the ministry that I've been called to serve has missed the mark and has demonstrated some of these things that millennials have said about the church. And how can I change that and still not take away from the veracity and the power and the prescience of us being the church of Jesus Christ? Um, as I said before, I usually would end with a parting thought, but tonight I'm not. Tonight I'm just going to leave it right where we we left it. Uh, I want to say, bridge builders, again, time has escaped us. And when you're having these kinds of deep conversations, you lose track of time. I want to encourage you to continue reaching out to us by all the social media outlets. And if you have a friend, uh, a colleague, associate that you know has a book, has a project, has uh, a music project, has an event planned, uh, wants an opportunity to share what they're doing in terms of small business, to give us a call here. To reach inbox us here at Bridging the Gap with Hugh J. Harmon, uh, Harmon one on Instagram, at Pastor H. Harmon on Twitter, uh, and, and just reach out to us because I believe that this is the platform where we can dig down and you can help us through your project to bridge the gap. If this ministry of Bridging the Gap has been a blessing to you. Again, help us out. Spread the word. Get everyone you know to tune in on Sundays at 5 p.m. because their lives will never be the same. If you're in the Columbia region, in the Northeast Midlands area in particular, come meet us at the Kingdom Church Love Fellowship Kingdom Restoration Tabernacle. I'm talking about Columbia, South Carolina. I know there's a Columbia in Maryland, but I'm talking about Columbia, South Carolina. I am the senior pastor at the Kingdom Church Love Fellowship Kingdom Restoration Tabernacle. We are at 
at that location, 224 O'Neill Court, Unit 5, Columbia, South Carolina. The zip is 29223. We're there every Sunday at 1130 a.m. We're just adjacent to Richland County DMV, just off our main thoroughfare in Columbia, South Carolina, called Two Notch Road. You've heard about Two Notch Road. Um, if you heard about Columbia, you know anything about Columbia, you know what Two Notch Road is. We are right off of that thoroughfare, just literally uh Yards away from Two Notch Road at 224 O'Neill Court, Unit 5, Columbia, South Carolina, at the Richland County, and the same complex where the Richland County DMV is, the shops on O'Neill Court. On Sunday mornings, you have to be a part of our worship experience and hear the word for yourself that is preached and taught to understand the impact on lives. This past Sunday, this morning, we had a powerful word from one of our ministers, in-house ministers. The word was the reckless love of God. He's a, he's a reckless God. He's a God that will recklessly show you love and care and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, and knowing that, that reckless love of God should cause something to break inside of us where we decide, you know what, I'm going to give up everything for a God that's willing to give up everything for me. During the week on Wednesday nights, we gather for prayer and interactive Bible study. We're going to be there this this Wednesday at 6.15 p.m. I try my best to get us out by 7.30, one hour of power. We start at 6.15 p.m. sharp, and we try to hit the doors by 7.30 p.m., and if the Spirit of the Lord decides to otherwise, then we might stay a little longer. Again, I want to thank you for tuning in to Bridging the Gap. Thank you for your listening ears, for your comments online, for your messages by Facebook. And before we transition to the Empowerment Hour with Minister Vincent Sanders, I encourage you, I encourage you to stay tuned to the network. It will be worth your time. And as I leave here, Bridging the Gap, I want to leave you with a song um, about the love of God and how it is forever. It's a song that's been really ministering to my spirit by Jason Nelson. And when you hear it, it sounds like it's a love song that should be played at a wedding or some uh, of some sort. But it is actually a song and ode to the God that sits high and looks down low. Again, meet us here next Sunday at 5 p.m. And I promise you, your life will never be the same. Here is Forever by Jason Nelson. 